Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, I think uh, you would agree that we are absolutely living in unprecedented times and challenging times. And I want you to know that your staff, we take your safety very, very serious. And we do a lot of conversation, we do a lot of praying, we do a lot of thinking through about the best way uh, to keep our church safe. And um, <laughs> that's why this, the, about wearing the mask that we started today, um, we talked with a lot of churches, we, uh, I've talked with a lot of pastors, I listened to what the government says, and we just made that decision that we felt like it was the best step to take. And, but I want to tell you, it's amazing. I, I, I've lost sleep over a face mask. Isn't that crazy? And I was sitting there and I was talking to God about it. I said, when's the last time I lost sleep over a lost person? And I said, I've got to get my priorities straight. And it's, you know, it's kind of like cilantro. You know, my wife makes this amazing salsa, but she likes to put cilantro in it. And people either love cilantro or they hate it. Mary loves it. I hate it. And I, I actually studied, why do I hate this so much? And I found out that there was a gene that you have, that some people have, that uh, when you smell cilantro, it smells like soap. And that's why you have an aversion to it. And so I just, I just won't eat it. Well, you know, I think face max is like the cilantro of today. People are all for it and people are all against it. I mean, it's, it's just one or the other. And uh, it's, a, it's just unbelievable what I see happening in all the discussion, but please know your safety is primary to us. And that's why we take that very, very serious. And, um, and I want to thank you for your generosity. Gateway is such a generous church and you have been for a long time. And, and I want you to know that our staff, we are very diligent about our resources that you provide. We don't waste it. We make sure we're not doing anything that's uh, unnecessary. Um, we don't put a lot of fluff in, the, we don't put any fluff in our budget. And, and so we work diligently to say, okay, what are some things we can rearrange? What are some things that we could hold off on? A lot of things we're able to hold off on because of ministries that we just aren't doing right now. And, and so just to let you know, we do take that very serious and you have been faithful I just keep you up to date though. Right now, uh, as, as, uh, through June, we are in a little bit of a shortfall concerning our giving that covers our expenses. But because of your faithfulness in the, in the past, we have reserves and we've been using some of those reserves during this time to meet our obligations, especially our mission obligations. We never want to cut that. And, uh, and so thank you though, for your continued support. There are several ways that we've set up for people to give during a time like this. You can give at the close of the service as you're walking out the doors. Um, you can do it online. You can do it through an app on your phone. You can mail it in. We have a secure locked box at the entrance that you can stick it in. You can, uh, drop it by the office, whatever's convenient for you. But thank you so much for your faithfulness and please know we, we uh, look at your tithes and offerings very serious and make sure that we aren't wasting those. So we are in this series on what we believe. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about 
God uh, through Jesus and God through the Father. And today we're going to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you a question. And that is, do you begin your day already in a deficit? Now, here's what I mean by that. If you wake up and the first thing that you do is turn on the TV to look at the news and get all really encouraged by the news and uh, hearing all the stuff that's going on, or is the first thing that you do is you go to your Facebook to make sure you get the real news. And uh, I mean, if, if, you, if that's the beginning of your day, I want to suggest to you that you're already beginning your day in a deficit. You're, you're setting yourself up for a lot of discouragement. You're putting yourself in a discouraging position already to begin with. And you're setting yourself up for not having a very good day. Whereas if you begin your day with the Lord by reading his word and seeing what he has to say, the real news, and if you spend your time in prayer and talking to the God of the universe... And uh, you, you spend your time being energized by his Holy Spirit. Well, I would suggest to you that your day is going to be radically different. When you start thinking in terms of, God, I want to see this day through your eyes. I want to fulfill your purposes and your plans for my life for this day. I don't want it to be just another day of survival. I want to thrive. I, I want my life to be significant this day. And I believe when you begin your day that way, you already begin your day way ahead. You're in the plus side. In fact, I would suggest that you become more sensitive spiritually to those in need around you, especially those in spiritual need. You're more attuned to the Holy Spirit and how he directs you and guides you and what you should say and who you should say it to and the attitude in which you should say it. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit, let me just back up on a little bit about the Trinity. Here's what we basically believe. There's one God in three persons. And these three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father, but yet they are God. They're not three different gods. It's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. And although the Bible never uses the word Trinity in over 60 passages, it refers to the three as one, together. So let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Today, I, I want us to begin to grasp just how active the Holy Spirit is in our life. And one of the reasons why we're not aware of how active he is is because we, we fail to recognize some of the truths about who he is and what he does and his, his mission, his purpose. Number one. He convicts of sin and our need for a savior. Now, see, I'm not able to convict people of sin. I can talk to them about it, but I don't have the ability to convict. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Listen to what the Bible says. 
Now this, this is huge. It says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. So hang on to that phrase for a moment. And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So there are three things that he's doing. Convicting the world of sin, convicting the, the world of God's righteousness, and convicting the world of the coming judgment. That's a good bit of motivation right there. And then in the next verse, in verse 9, it says, And the world's sin, here it is, is that it refuses to believe in me. That's Jesus talking. So when the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts the world of its sin, the sin is they refuse to believe in Jesus. That's the sin. You see, when I think about him convicting of sin, I can come up with a long list of things of all the things that we do wrong, and it's easy to think of it in terms of that, but the Bible says, or Jesus says, no, it's the refusal to believe in, in me. That's the sin. In fact, that's ultimately the sin that convicts, and that's where the punishment comes for. I mean, people will spend eternity separated from God because of their refusal to accept Jesus. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of its sin, of rejecting Jesus, of God's righteousness, that he is God, he is holy, he has the right to set the rules. I mean, this goes along with a lot of other verses that talk about how just nature lets you know there's a God. But one last piece is that he convicts the world of the coming judgment. I've been with many people at their deathbed. Most believers, but many were not. And I can tell you this, the ones who were not they had a fear like no other kind of fear you'll ever see anywhere else. And I'm convinced it's because of the validity of these words of Jesus that they knew through the Holy Spirit that they were about to face the judgment of holy God. I believe that. It's also one of the reasons why the Bible says God doesn't want you to fear death. And the only way you get to not have to, that you don't fear death is through a right relationship with Jesus. Because when I'm, well, I, I was with one of our dear members at Gateway, just the, been with her a couple of times this past week. And um, she's close to death. She knows it's coming. But the joy on her face and in her words, I mean, she said to me, she says, Pastor, I am so ready. I'm so excited. No fear of death. She welcomes it. She, she's excited about it. So conviction is not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He, and if you hadn't figured this one out, he does a lot better job of it than you could anyway. 
So my job when I'm helping someone or talking with someone is to figure out where the Holy Spirit's working in them. And I don't have the ability to figure it out on my own, but that's why I pray. And, and so whenever I'm meeting with somebody and, and I don't know what the agenda is or what's going on, I, even when I do, I always pray, Lord, you know what you're doing in their life. You, you know where you're working in their life. Just allow me to join you in that work. So give me the right questions to ask, the right statements to make, the right scriptures to share. You see, the only true source of obtaining results for you is the prayer that you have for another person. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, the world of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Number two, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. That means he's the change agent. He's the one that brings about change in your life. In 2 Corinthians, it says, for the Lord is the Spirit. So there it is. The Holy Spirit is God. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed meaning when you pray to receive Jesus into your life, a veil was removed and reflect the glory of the Lord. So when you pray to receive Christ, a veil was removed and your life begins to reflect the glory of God and there's freedom in your life. Not free to go do whatever you want, but freedom that you don't have to sin anymore. You're set free from that. You don't have to worry about judgment anymore that's coming. You're set free from that. It says, and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him. So it's a progress more and more. He makes you more and more. It's a continual action as we are changed into his glorious image. So you were saved, one-time event, nothing's ever going to change that. But then there's a changing process that's taking place throughout the remainder of your life, and that is you're becoming more and more into the image of Jesus. So your life reflects the image of Christ more and more. Now, here's how that happens. It, I become less so that he becomes more. And so people see more of Jesus because I'm getting out of the way. You know, when I look at people when they get in their older years, if a person, if they just become more crabby, um, more angry, more difficult, what is that really saying? I mean, they could have gone to church all their life, but if they're becoming less and less like Jesus as they get older, maybe the reflection's not there at all. So hopefully for you and for me, the older we get, the sweeter we get, the more Christ-like we get. I mean, even to the point of how we respond and react to people. 
And um, I, I had a neighbor one time that really just did a bad thing. And it affected us. And um, there was a part of me that wanted to say, that's all right, one day you'll get yours. But now it's totally different. It's more of like, if he doesn't accept Christ in his life, he's going to spend eternity in hell. And I'm not okay with that. I cannot be happy about that, regardless of what he did to me. I mean, if you ever get to a point that you would be very satisfied to know that somebody's going to hell, what is that saying about you? I mean, it grieves the Holy Spirit. I mean, if, if it didn't grieve him, if he, if he didn't want people not to have to go there, why would he come and convict of sin? Right? I mean, why would that be his main mission to convict of sin? So I, I want to let the Holy Spirit be that change agent in me and in you and, and that, the, that I reflect more and more of Jesus. And I want to tell you, let me hear me say this. If you're more concerned about reflecting a political line, a political opinion, you've missed the whole point of the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life. Be consumed with reflecting Jesus. Third thing about the Holy Spirit is he indwells us, in us. He lives in us. And this, boy, this really, this really gets down to it. First Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I mean, the temple, his residence, who lives in you and was given to you by God? So God the Father gave you God, the Holy Spirit, to live in you. Now get this, you do not belong to yourself. I mean, the temple in Jerusalem back in the day did not belong to the people or the nation. It was God's. That's where he, the Holy of Holies, that was God's indwelling. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you, it's no longer you. It says, for God bought you with the high price, the death of his son. So you must honor God with your body. There's some teachings that go around that suggest that uh, once you become a Christian, you're guaranteed to go to heaven. So live like you want to. And that's contrary, especially to this verse. You see, I, I belong to God. If I'm his temple, this is his home. This is his dwelling. This belongs to him. So I submit everything to him, not just my will and not just my emotions, but my physical body, it belongs to him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would kind of come and, and go. But in the New Testament, that you and I live in, the indwelling is permanent. 
Jesus said in John 14, and I will ask the Father, so God the Son, ask God the Father, and he will give you another advocate. I, I like this. Listen to the way Jesus talked. I will ask and he will give. It's like I, I have such confidence in my prayers. And you know, the, I know I'm asking for the will of the Father to be done. So when I ask this, he's going to do it. And, and so when I ask the Father, he will give you another advocate, God the Holy Spirit. So here we have the Trinity right there. Who will never leave you. Not going to happen. He is the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth. And if you are looking for truth from the world, where did you ever get the idea that that was a good place to go? The world cannot receive him. So the world doesn't have the truth because it isn't looking for him. The world doesn't want the truth. And doesn't recognize him. Even when the truth's in front of their face, it means nothing. Have you ever wondered how certain politicians, less most politicians, a lot of people, when the truth is so glaring and the evidence is so overwhelming, it doesn't matter? Well, this verse explains that to me. It says the world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him and does not recognize him. The world is not looking for the truth. The world doesn't even recognize the truth when it shows up and it's not looking. It doesn't want the truth. It doesn't matter because all that matters is the agenda. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Well, later has arrived. He is in you. And he will lead you to truth. Number four, baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, and you've, when you pray to receive Christ, you were baptized, immersed, saturated by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it said, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we are all, we have all been baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So basically, Paul was saying, it does not matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how high you are in, in social standing or how low you are in social standing. We are all on the same ground when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We are all equal when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I don't have an advantage of the Holy Spirit simply because I went to seminary over you if you didn't go to seminary. I have no advantage over you whatsoever. I don't have an advantage over you being a Christian for 40 plus years and you've been a Christian maybe a week. It doesn't matter. You have the exact same Holy Spirit in his fullness that I've had all this time. You get that same Holy Spirit in his fullness when you ask Jesus to come into your life, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you know. The word baptizo 
was often used to describe a procedure used to dye a piece of cloth. And the cloth was baptized, deep, uh, dipped into the dye, resulting in a new color, color in the fabric. I mean, inside and out. The fabric was saturated. So here's the deal. You don't get a couple of drops of the Holy Spirit. You get a deluge of the Holy Spirit. You got him in his entirety. That's pretty exciting. The Bible says in Titus 3, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. It would never be enough. But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you see the Trinity there? God the Father generously poured out God the Spirit upon you because of Jesus, God the, God the Savior, God Jesus, the Son. Number five, he sealed us. Ephesians 1 says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saved you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So because you have been sealed, you are secure for eternity. And because you have been sealed, you cannot be inhabited in your core by other spiritual forces. In other words, a Christian can never be demon-possessed. Oh, demons can suppress you. They can come around you and attack you. But the Bible is very clear that who is in you is far greater than who that's around you. And you do, do not have to fear. He seals you and nothing. Well, here's how you can lose your salvation. Someone more powerful than the Holy Spirit would have to come along and be able to break his seal on your life. And that being does not exist and never will because the Holy Spirit is God. So you have nothing to be afraid of. You do not have to fear death. Number six, he fills you. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine because it, that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I've done a lot of funerals in my lifetime and I have yet to ever stand in front of a crowd of people talking about someone who's passed away and have ever said these words. This guy was a great dad because he was a good drunk. He was an amazing spouse, a faithful friend, because he knew how to drink. I've never said that. You'll never hear that said. 
But what I have said, this guy was an amazing father. This person was an amazing wife. They were an amazing parent, an incredible friend, because they were filled with God's Holy Spirit. They were controlled by God's Spirit. He fills you. So basically, the Bible's saying, don't fill yourself with other things that can control you. Alcohol, drugs, whatever. When it consumes you, it controls you and eventually destroys you. There are two things I'm told to do concerning the Holy Spirit, or basically told not to do. One is I'm told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. See, the Holy Spirit's convicting the world of its sin, that is, rejecting Jesus, he has convicted the world of the redemption, uh, the righteousness of God. He's convicting the world of the judgment of God. And basically this verse is saying, you will never have to experience the judgment of God because you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, and so you need to live with that in mind. And so when I bring sorrow to or grieve the Holy Spirit, it basically means I break his heart. See, this is why we can say the Holy Spirit is a being, not a thing. He has emotions. Just as a parent who has had a child to make some really bad decisions that are life-altering, ultimately that parent will say, they broke my heart. They broke, broke me to my core with their decisions. And you and I have the capacity to grieve, to break the heart of the Holy Spirit. And I'm told in Ephesians, don't do that. Do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live, meaning contrary to the image of Jesus. The second thing I'm told not to do is to quench the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not hamper, do not hinder, do not repress, do not prevent the Holy Spirit from exerting his full influence in your life. Now here's how you do that. Every time you say no to God. Every time God makes something clear to you through his word or through your prayer life and you say no, you are quenching the Holy Spirit. You are throwing water on the fire of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Anytime you say no to God, even though it's contrary to your emotions, it's contrary to your desires, every time you say no, you're stifling the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a little side note. Your understanding is not a requirement for your obedience. Here's what I mean by that. 
When God gives you a directive through his word or through a prayer, your prayer, you don't go back to him and say, well, I need more information. I, I need you to explain this to me. When he gives you enough information to tell you the steps to take, your job is to be obedient. In fact, it's a greater step of faith when you take it without all the information. I mean, look at how many times in scripture he would just simply say to someone, pack your bags and get ready to go. And they would just obey and pack their bags and go. And, and God would say, and I'll show you as you're going where to go. The more information you require before you act upon God's directive, that's a faith issue on your part. But when God gives you information to act, you act on what he gives you, not demanding more. Every time I demand more, I'm actually quenching the Holy Spirit by saying, I'm not sure I trust you. You're going to have to give me more information so I can decide if I'm going to be obedient or not. Galatians 5.25 puts it this way. This sums up what I just said to you. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Obedience. God's Spirit will always give you enough information to take the next step. He does not guarantee that you'll understand it yet. Sometimes you will not understand it until the journey's completed. But he will always give you enough light to see the next step he wants you to take. Your job, take it. So don't grieve by your disobedience. Don't quench by your inactivity, your hesitancy to obey. So let's do praying.